text for this morning's sermon is Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory." Uh, Bibles with. You can follow along where Scott just read Ephesians uh, chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, verses 3 through 14. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that now as we come to Your Word, You would put Yourself on display for our eyes to see. That's what Your Word does here. God, I pray that by Your grace we may grasp something of the immeasurable blessings You've bestowed upon us in Christ. God, I pray that worship would result from us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, about 12 years ago, I was a youth pastor at a small country church in Minnesota. And I got a call one day from my cousin who lived down in Minneapolis. And he asked me if I wanted to go to a Twins game on a Sunday afternoon. It was like a two o'clock game. I knew I couldn't miss church. And I told him I could go, but I was going to be a little bit late. He said to me, that's no problem. Uh, my stepfather and I, he said, we'll already be in at the game. If you get there uh, a little late, we'll leave your ticket at will call. And I'm like, sounds good. So I made like the hour and a half drive uh, down to Minneapolis and to the Metrodome and got to Will Call and they asked, uh, gave me my name and they gave me a ticket and I didn't pay much attention to it. Walked into the Metrodome and I go to my section that I'm supposed to go to and I'm kind of looking at my ticket and uh, the usher there says, uh, Sir, do you know where... Uh, your seat is? And I said, well, here's my ticket. I let him look at it. He kind of looked at me and chuckled and smiled and said, I'll take you down to your seat here. And so we're coming down and I can already tell these are good seats. Like we're in the lower deck and down below us is the twins dugout. And so we're walking down the steps and we're getting closer to the field. <laughs> Excitement in my heart is growing. All of a sudden, we get down to the very front row and then take a left right behind the twins' dugout. Sure enough, there's my cousin and uh, my uncle, his stepdad there. And they say, hey, how's it going? Sit down. So I sat down. 
I'm looking over the bench and there's Doug McCavich sitting right there and on the edge eating sunflower seeds. I'm looking into his cooler full of sunflower seeds. And uh, I mean, I, I'm not greeting my cousin and my uncle in a very good way. I'm in awe of where I am. I just start to get my bearings and here is a cameraman right in my face pretty much going like this. And I look up at the Jumbotron and there I am and there we are and on top of it, the screen, it says owner's seats. So I dig the ticket out of my pocket. I look at the ticket and it says courtesy of the Polad family. And as I'm looking at this, they're watching me, laughing at me. And they all gave me their tickets. So I got four of the owner's seats tickets at my house from Carl Polad's family. My uncle was kind of one of his right-hand men. And uh, I got to enjoy an awesome game. I remember Brad Radke was pitching. And it was like third inning right behind me here a guy kind of goes into a little bit of a seizure and people came and helped and and Radke is just getting shelled. I mean, he's just getting killed out there. This is all side note here. But he comes in and he's asking my uncle, how's my brother? His brother had like an epileptic seizure uh, right there. And... Uh, Needless to say, Twins got smoked that game, which I was really bummed because my uncle said, if they win, we'll go to the, we'll go into the clubhouse afterwards. Well, it wasn't even close. And, uh, I got, uh, experience, an awesome experience to be at this game. Now, imagine with me for a moment. What if after that, I would have gone around and said, Look at my glory. Look, I was in the owner's seats right behind the dugout. I got to say, good job, Doug, as he ran into the dugout. Look at my glory. Look at where I am sitting. Everyone would know if they knew all the details to the story how absolutely wrong that would be because it was 100% a gift that I get to be there, that I get to sit in those seats. Well, as we're going to see in our text today, it would also be wrong for us not to understand the grace we've been given and glory in God. This sermon is really simple. It's like a two-point sermon where you can summarize it with this statement. Glory in the God of all blessing. The giver gets the glory is how John Piper says it. And you're always the receiver. If you want to understand this letter to the Ephesians, you can sum it up by Paul almost going crazy in the first four chapters doing everything he can to help believers grasp the grace of God, the blessing of God in their salvation. And then after chapter 4, to live their lives in such a way that says, thank you, God. Glory to you, God. Unlike Paul sometimes uh, does, as sometimes he's just like a masterful lawyer where one point builds on another point, on another point, 
leads to this awesome argument that just locks down his point. That's not what he's doing in these verses. These verses is, are like Paul greeting the church in Ephesus. And right at the beginning, wanting to say, blessed be God. Praise and honor and glory to God the Father in Jesus Christ. And then he says, because of all these blessings. And he can't even rattle them off in like an organized manner. He rattles a few off and then he has to explode into God getting praise. I can tell you that if we get to the last song today and we don't erupt in praise to God, then it's failure. Not that singing is the only way of worship, but if we can look at the blessings in Christ and not have that mount up in praise, it would be one of the saddest things we can experience. Our lives are like this. So often, we can be like this. So this sermon is kind of going to go like this. Have you ever uh, seen these shows on HGTV? I'm going to admit that I've seen them. Uh, but there's one called Fixer Upper where a couple buys a house that isn't very nice at all and then they agree uh, with uh, uh, Joanna and, help me out, Chip Gaines that they're going to fix it up. Here's your budget. We're buying the house. We're not going to see it till you're done. Well, the climax of the show is when these people get to walk from room to room and just go, whoa, wow, this is amazing. In a sense, that's what's going to happen this morning. Paul is going to take us on a tour of our salvation. And while he's doing it, just like the people on these shows continue to say, thank you so much. This is so beautiful. It's better than what I can imagine. I mean, these people are paying them to do that. Paul is doing this with us about eternal things. We didn't pay a dime. 100% gift. And the first verse, verse 3, really encapsulates this whole text and even the letter as a whole. So look at Ephesians 1. Verse 3. We see the two parts of the sermon here. The first part, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise and honor to God the Father in Jesus Christ. And the second part is this, who has blessed us in Christ with Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now we can get a little confused with all these blesseds and blessing and kind of get mixed up on the meaning. In the ESV, it's kind of helpful. We get to see that it's all from the same stem, this, this word blessing, but they're in different forms. For example, look at the beginning of verse 3. Blessed be. This is an adjective. It could be, it could say this. To the, our, the one to be praised, the God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an adjective of God. He's the one to be praised. And then it says, who is blessed. This is a verb. It's not an adjective, it's verb form. And what it means is to act kindly towards. Who is act kindly towards us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And this blessing is a noun. And what it means is generous gift. 
with every generous gift. And so, this passage is about blessing. God shall be praised. God shall be honored. Look how He acted with blessing towards you. He acted kindly towards you. Look at all the actual nouns, blessings you've been given. All the spiritual blessings. And the next 11 verses just unpacks that verse. Here's how it always works for Paul. You see grace, you worship God. And so he never starts out a letter saying, do this because of grace. What he says is, look at grace overflow with actions of worship and blessing to God. So let's look at point one. Blessed be God in Christ. God the Father is the one to be praised. He's the one to be praised. Like the songs we just sang. Not blessing. We're not the ones to be praised. He is the one to be praised. And it's in and through Christ that this is possible. Paul erupts into this four times in this passage. We just looked at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let Him be praised. And then look at verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace. Look at verse 12. So that we are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glorious or of His glory. And then in 14b, the last half of that verse, the last part of this passage to the praise of His glory. Those are the four times Paul erupts. And as we look at them, we should say, yeah, we're supposed to do that. But what gives life to our understanding and fuel to our praise is by looking at how God loved us in Jesus Christ. And that is what we're going to spend the second part of this sermon looking at. The part where he says, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Well, let's look at them. There's at least 12 blessings we can look at this morning that we are blessed with in having God be our God and gifts, spiritual gifts given to us. So let's look at verse 4 as he unpacks us, unpacks this. First blessing. He chose us to be blameless in Christ. Look at verse 4. Even as He chose us. He chose us in Him being Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. God chose us that we could stand before God blameless before Him. Had nothing to do with us earning it. It's before the foundation of the world. He chose us to stand blameless. In Christ's righteousness, now, we stand blameless before God in Christ's righteousness. And in reality, when Christ returns, we will not sin anymore. All of our sins will be washed away. Every one of these blessings, you could meditate for 
infinite amount of time. Any one of the twelve. What kind of gift is that? To be able to stand in the presence of God blameless. Look at the second blessing. For He works for us in love. It says, in love, He predestined us. So in His choosing, in His predestinating our lives, He did it in love. Imagine a sovereign being sovereign who wasn't acting in love on your behalf. What a gift do we have that if you're a believer, God is working everything for your good in love. Everything. What kind of gift is this when you're anxious at night laying on your bed having trouble sleeping? In love, He predestined us. And blessing three, blessed be God, worship be God, because He chose us to be blameless in Christ one, He works for us in love, and He predestines us, this is number three, to be sons through Jesus. It's one thing to stand blameless before God, to be in His presence, but what if you're invited into the family of God as real sons and daughters in Christ? Can we exhaust how much meditation, how much time we could glory in? Blessed be God for this amazing blessing to be sons through Jesus. Here's how John says it. First John verses, or chapter three, verses one through three. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. We're not perfect yet. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. When you see Christ perfectly, face to face, and we see God, we will be perfect. And then he says, everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. Anyone who recognizes, I'm a child of God, this is my hope, this is my promise, is going to live a life desiring to purify himself. But what a gift! We're children now, and it's even going to be better than now. We'll be perfect one day when Christ returns. Blessed be God, the Father, through Christ for this fourth blessing. For His gracious will. Look at what He says at the end of verse 5. According to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He blessed us in the Beloved. God's willing is full of grace. I don't know what your picture of God is. I don't know how Satan tempts you to view God. But God's willing in your life is to the praise of His glorious grace. It's gracious, willing that God has for us. These first four blessings are focusing on what the Father has done for us in Christ. 
The next blessings to come all the way up to the last one are going to focus on what Christ has done for us. And then it's going to end with what the Spirit does for us. Our blessing is Trinitarian blessing that brings us up into the heart of the Trinity, into the family of God as sons. So let's look at how through the Son we have every spiritual blessing. Let's, let's look at the fifth blessing. For we have redemption and forgiveness in Jesus' blood. The reason why I said 12 plus blessings is this could be three blessings. You could split this up so many different ways. But I can't have that many points in this sermon. So, what is it? Look at verse 7. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Redemption. It means to be released from slavery, from a prison, to be set free. Forgiveness of sins means to have your account. It's one thing to be set free. It's another thing to be set free and have your debt paid. Your sins gone. Forgiven. No more wrath coming for them. But the glorious thing is is it's in His blood. You want to see people get angry? Watch a president in the last months of his term in office. And he begins to pardon criminals. You want to know why people are angry? Because if he gives grace and pardons, what is being thrown to the dirt? Justice. They're in prison because they deserve to be in prison. Some people say, oh, it's grace. So you got the grace people. Yes, this is, this is showing God's glory in the pardon. Other people are saying, oh, this disgusts me. Justice is being thrown down. The reason why you have two parties and they both have good points is because a president can't do what God did in Christ. Because our redemption and our forgiveness is in His blood. And when our redemption is in His blood, and our forgiveness is in His blood, God says, I'm just. And it's not cheap grace. A president saying, here you go. Go free. It's just cheap. Didn't cost him anything. Just gets to unleash a little bit more power at the end of his life. Your sins cost God His Son. It's the greatest price. Your forgiveness is not cheap grace. Your redemption is a justice-fulfilling redemption. Sins were really punished. Oh, what a gift we have in our redemption and forgiveness in Jesus' blood. Blessed be God for, number six, His lavish grace. Paul is running into a ceiling with language. You can't put into words what God has done for us in Christ. So he has to use words like lavish according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. And he's saying the same thing in chapter 2. He just gives us more details. Just go to Ephesians 2 once. Let's look at verses 5 through 7 and just stand in awe for a moment as we consider his lavish grace. Ephesians 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up 
with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This isn't sitting behind the twins' dugout. This is sitting in the midst of the Trinity. Seated with Christ in the heavenly places is much better than sitting behind a dugout in the Metrodome. So that in the coming ages, here's why you're seated there, He might show the immeasurable riches. You hear this language? Of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Forever when you're in the presence of God. Seated with God. With Christ. There's this immeasurable riches that never end for all eternity that come from dwelling in the house of the Lord. In the presence of the Trinity. It's never going to end. God's never going to say, okay, sinner, that's about enough lavishing. It always is going to pour out more and more. It's always going to be undeserved. We're always going to be thinking, this has to stop sometime. I am a rebel. I was dead. But it won't stop. His lavish grace. Blessed be God for, number seven, His wisdom and insight. What does He say? In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Has anyone ever given you a gift foolishly? Maybe the person giving the gift is going into major debt to give it to you. Has anyone... And, 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 and let's be honest. If you're getting a gift from someone and it's a foolish gift, they ought not give it. You're not going to be able to glory in it that much. In fact, you're going to feel guilt. You're maybe going to try to talk them out of it. But God, in all wisdom and insight, when He gives us the gift, He doesn't lose any justice. It's not a cheap gift. We've all been given cheap gifts. It cost Him everything. He is the most wise giver there's ever been. The One who gives you these blessings does it with all wisdom and insight in Christ. And so I must ask the question, why do we grumble? Well, we could say a hundred things, right? Well, look at this circumstance. Look at that circumstance. But, if God is sovereign, He's always working good for us, even in the hard times. If He's all wise in our salvation, you see why the Bible speaks horrid things against grumbling. See, our culture justifies grumbling. This is half the fun of life. Let's get together and have coffee and grumble. Let's grumble about this. Let's grumble about that. The Bible never speaks about grumbling in a light way. People die immediately in the Old Testament when this happens. The New Testament asks us over and over again not to grumble, but give thanks. Because if we open our eyes to even just these 12 verses, 
we can see the foolishness of our grumbling when He is all wise. Praise and glory to God for the eighth blessing here. For Him revealing to us the mystery of His will. Namely, the Gospel according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. You would think the Gospel was foolishness and absolutely a stumbling block if it was not for the grace of God revealing to you the mystery. Both in the coming of Christ. God had to send His Son to die on the cross to show us our salvation. But not only did He come and do this as a demonstration of His love and His wisdom, but He lets us see it. Some of your neighbors don't see it. Some of your family members don't see it. And it's just the text that Scott read from Titus 3 before he started the service. None of us would have saw it if God didn't open our eyes. The blessing to understand the mystery of what God is doing to save us. Glory be to God for number 9, His plan that culminated in Christ. Look at verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Our, God, our people that say they don't believe the Bible have never, have never begun to understand how from the very first book to the very last book, it's so intricately woven the most beautiful story. And to write an amazing novel is a great thing. To watch an amazing movie that has a great plot is a great thing. But God does all these complicated things, all these workings in all this di di these directions, but all of it flows to one person through Jesus Christ. And God glorifies Himself through His Son so that everything flows through Him. We should just stand in awe at the blessing of our God that is so wise that He saves us through Christ at the right time as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. You see, some people view their life like, yeah, I know I'm going to meet Jesus at the end of my life. I'm going to have to face Him, I know. I've done a, I mean, I've kind of prayed to receive Christ one time at a crusade. You know, I'm living my life, but I kind of throw Jesus on like frosting on top of the ice cream or something, on top of the cake. Oh, that's not the Christ of the Bible. Everything is about Christ. Everything you do is about Christ and for Christ. Whether you're doing laundry, changing diapers, doing paperwork, jogging, it's about Christ. Here's what Paul says in Romans 11.36, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Oh, this blessing we've been given that our salvation runs through Christ. This beautiful plan. Praise be to God for number 10, our inheritance in Christ. See, this is linked to being a son and daughter. Look at verse 11. In Him we've obtained, not earned, obtained an inheritance having been predestined 
according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. To receive the inheritance as a Son of God is to receive Christ's inheritance. You want to know why we as Christians do not need to be sucked into materialism? Into bucket lists that I have to do before I die? Is because your time on earth is short. And you have all eternity to do everything. It's all yours. You don't own that mountain you go climb on. You will inherit all the inheritance of Christ. You're a part of God's family. You can live your life down here self-sacrificially, self-denying for the love of others because you don't have to get it done before you die. You're given an inheritance that blows away any bucket list. Any inheritance. I don't care if you're Donald Trump's son. That's nothing in comparison to our inheritance. And all those things I just described are all subpoints to the inheritance. But to be able to inherit the house of God, the family of God, and to sit in His presence is unspeakable. Glory be to God for number 11. He works our salvation for the praise of His glory. Look at verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. God did not save you so that you could grab the mirror of your life and tilt it towards yourself and say, man, that, man, I like what I see. Look how good I am. Let's be honest. Our most painful experiences in life, our most empty experiences in life are when we stand in front of the mirror and look at what we see. Whether we're looking into guilty eyes for sins we've committed, or we're looking at a body we don't like, pain happens there. But God so saved us that we would have so much joy that in our salvation, the mirror can turn from us to God. And with our lives, we shine forth the image of God and His glory. John Piper explains this as good as anyone I've ever heard. Why do people, saved or not saved, go to the Grand Canyon? Why do they buy the calendar that can't give them the picture they just experienced? It's not because they get to the Grand Canyon and go, look how big a stud I am. I'm so big. I'm awesome. What does everyone say? They stand there and they forget about themselves and they stand looking at glory. Something so much bigger than themselves. And they love it. Because you were not meant to sit there in front of a mirror. You're meant to gaze at something so much more glorious than yourself. And when you gaze at God and your life isn't looking at all these circumstances that would cause other people to grumble, but in these circumstances you're giving thanks and praise to God even in them, because your eyes are seeing an inheritance, a family, blessings. They look at your life and they go, I never knew God was like that. I didn't know. Thanks for being a mirror to help me understand what really matters. Praise God that He saved us in such a way where He gets the glory and we're just the one receiving, offering worship and thanksgiving to Him. And finally, look at the last blessing. And we see the Spirit's work here. What a gift. 
The last blessing that we praise God for is the gift of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee to all these other blessings. Look at verse 13. In Him also, in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, now get this, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now in the Pilgrim's Progress, this book, if you've never read it, it's a book that some of our heroes would read every year. Heroes in the faith because it is, there's so much spiritual Picture, so many spiritual pictures that illustrates Scripture to us. But here you have Christian. He's fled the city of destruction because he started reading the Bible. He found out destruction's coming to his life. Evangelist said, go this way. Go on this road. Go through the wicked gate. Head to the celestial city. Get the burden off your back. Well, you get to the wicked gate, which represents the narrow gate, the hard way. There's an easier way to get to the celestial city. A lot of people try to take that. But Christian gets there. And when he gets there, he's given a parchment that's sealed. And when I first read it, I thought, well, I thought the first book he read was the Bible. So, But now this is a parchment. But the parchment is the Holy Spirit. This is what it represents. And on his journey, he drops his, he falls asleep, parchment falls out of his pocket, tries to walk the road without it, can't, you know, tries to walk in his flesh, not in the spirit, goes back, finds his parchment, gets to the gates of the celestial city at the end of this long journey. And along the way, he was walking. People jumped over the wall on each side of the narrow road and hopped on the path, walking in front of them and behind them. And Christian would ask him, where's your parchment? Did you, did you go through the wicked gate? And they would say, oh, we're on the right path. People for hundreds of years have jumped the wall and taken this shortcut. That's way too long and way too hard to go back through the wicked gate. We'll be fine. So Christian gets there and the angels start blowing their trumpets. He can't believe it. A welcome from the angels. And they ask to see his parchment. He gives it to him, and he enters. And then behind him comes vain confidence who jumped over the wall who took a boat across the river, gets there, knocks on the door. There's no angels blowing trumpets. Someone calls over the door. Who's there? He says, I'm here. Let me in. I made it. He says, where's your parchment? He had no parchment. And he didn't get in. I just went through with you blessings unsearchable. And at the end of this, look at this gift you're given. Because you could say, well, what if I lose all this? What if all that you said was so good, but I lose it? Oh, look, just, let's, let's just look at this. Amazing promise. In Him, you also, when you heard the Word of truth, the Gospel of our salvation, believed in Him, and we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. God is so kind to you and I. You would never make it to those gates if God didn't give you the Holy Spirit. But because He gave you the Holy Spirit, it's the guarantee that you will get in. Sealed. God ought to be praised with our life 
He goes on, if we're going to take more verses, I just, I just want to show you this. I want to show you where he culminates, where he begins to go. Look at verse 15. For this reason, because all these blessings, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks. That's weird. I heard of your faith and your love, but I give God thanks for it. That's because He knows God created it. Both in His life and in everyone else's. I don't cease to give thanks. But then He says this, always remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of the revelation and of revelation and the knowledge of Him and here's what I think Paul wants for you and for me. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? <coughs> and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might? He wants the church worshiping God. And so He's showing them, look at your salvation. Look at your salvation. Look at what He's done for you. Calculate value. Calculate value. Be people who are a thankful people. Be people who praise God. Who reflect God with their life. That's my prayer for you. How has worship been for you lately? If you tell me, well, I haven't been meditating on things like this, then I know your worship has not been good. Paul knows how this works. This is why it's so important that we meditate on our wonderful God and on the grace that He's given us that our lives might erupt into praise and glory to Him. Let's pray. Father, You are so kind. We cannot imagine or comprehend the depth of the riches of Your glorious grace. But God, I ask that You help us. Paul tells us real things, real promises. Help us hang on to these promises to survive life. Loving You, trusting You, and not grumbling. Lord, we're all so weak. You know this. That's why You designed salvation in such a way where it's all about Your power and Your wisdom in Your absolute grace. God, I pray that You help us shine forth with thanksgiving and praise that You'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, Amen.